All right, so uh, vintage road racer. Uh, Prada sunglasses owner. Motor, self-proclaimed motorsports Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> and cheating son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> they don't like that. Oh, That's yeah, the second I mean, crew chief that didn't like that. Uh, Gray exploiting uh, son of a bitch. Performance advantages. Performance advantages. Yeah. Uh, Ray Evernham. If you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, oh I'm all man, right. one word. You give me one word. Look, <laughs> I mean, they told me that if I came, you would give me road racing driving lessons. Yeah, for, uh, for an invoice. Oh. Like, I will trade. <laughs> I'll drive your ghost somewhere, and then we'll trade out okay. coaching for that. How about yeah. you yeah. drive, he sets it up. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah then so. we'll get kicked out right away. Yeah. <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. I was very angry the sound of a driver on the radio during a race. What do you think I should call it? Welcome to the final edition of our 2019 trip of Dinner with Racers. I'm Sean Heckman. I'm Ryan Eversley. So as you know, we say this on every episode, but we got one of them TV shows on Amazon Prime, and we put out a bunch of podcasts last year in support of that. But in addition to record all that on a 15,000-mile, six-month journey, we also uh, went and had lunch and dinner and got some just dedicated podcasts, which we're putting out now. And uh, one of those folks is uh, none other than Mr. Ray Evernham. If you watch the Smokey Eunuch episode or listen to the Smokey Eunuch podcast, we have some great stories about Smokey as told by Ray. But guess what? He's also a guy who can tell his own story. And so, uh, well, we got that. Ray Evernham doesn't really need a big introduction. If you're a NASCAR fan, you know exactly who he is. But for those of you that don't follow NASCAR very closely, he was a big part of Jeff Gordon's multiple championship winning seasons. He was kind of the guy that really improved pit stop technology into what it is today. And he's also a racer himself. He knew who we were. He looked us up. He's been doing some vintage sports car racing and right off the bat wanted to talk about it, which was really neat. Obviously he's you know, big on the engineering side, but he wanted to be a race car driver and was racing late models, tried to get a job with Penske through the IROC series because he wanted to drive race cars. And I didn't know that about him and he could have been cooler was so open and gave us a lot of time in a short window. So big, big ups to Ray Evernham. So on National Meow Like a Pirate Day, Meow. Uh, we we went out to uh, Red Rocks Cafe, which is in, is it Burkdale or Huntersville? I don't know. It's Bur- I, Technically it's Huntersville, but Burkdale's like an area, is that right? Yeah, but Burkdale's like the, uh, the mall that it's in. I had the uh, chicken sandwich that was in fact a chicken sandwich. I, have, I think I had a ravioli. Just say you had the Ray Evernham. It makes the joke work. Oh, okay. I had the Ray Evernham plate. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And uh, here's some of the things you're going to hear about. Uh, crashing through an ambulance fence. The definition of, quote, quit fired. Uh, worrying that a photographer is going to screw up your ride height. And racing in HSR, the historic racing series here in North America. Now, as we said before, uh, Ray is also very present in our uh, Smoky Eunuch tributes, both the video series and the podcast. Uh, so if you go back a few episodes in our podcast and listen to uh, the second part of our Smoky Eunuch tribute, you're going to hear some awesome stories from Ray Evernham, not just about Smoky, but also about... Uh, well, cheating would be the wrong word, but also about some some famous ways that they um, worked the system. But uh, speaking of working the system, uh, I'd like to thank our legal counsel for uh, driving us around on this big old country road trip, uh, Mr. Michael Avenatti. Very kind of him to take that time with us. Quiet down, you two. I'm trying to listen to Migos. And uh, what kind of vehicle was this whole road trip done in? That would be my Acura MDX, Sean. Huh, and uh, what kind of tires were on that? It would be uh, Continental Tires, Sean. Cross Contact LX Sport, we think. Continental Tire. Ray Evernham. Ray Evernham. Ray Evernham. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Appreciate it. 
appreciate you guys pushing it up. Oh no, it works. It actually works better for us. Again, we're driving, it does. Oh, we're driving back to Atlanta tonight. So oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So uh, is so. Are we based out of? I am sort yeah, of. Yeah. Sean's, Sean's in the LA area. Yeah. So I'm a little rummy. I, I did a red eye. So uh, red eye to Atlanta, and here we are. So uh, it's been a been a fun day. Put these on. We don't, we don't waste any time. So we don't do introductions or anything. We just we just jump right in. Okay. Um, so first of all, do you did uh, do you know anything about who we are, what we do? I do, and uh, the the reason was I had heard about the show, and then David Vincent uh, yeah. he told me about it. But then I did some, you know, certainly some research. I actually had, had Ryan because we we been doing a lot of vintage road racing and stuff now and gotten more into that but uh read up uh you know impressive so it's it's fun happy to be on it but uh you cool. know uh, again is uh, your story is you know to me is inspiring when i like people that have got to really committed work hard to get to where they want to be you know yeah well you can see from our crew they're all waiting in the bus yeah. Yeah. yeah so actually we'll jump right into the road racing so you know ryan because you've been doing a lot of hsr recently yeah, hsr i did yeah. some hsr and some svra yeah. and you know it's just I, I aspire to maybe do some uh, legit road racing oh, one cool. of these days but the easiest way to, to learn is to be running off in the grass with <laughs> a bunch of other old guys <laughs> yeah, right. right all right let's nice. see if you're a real deal whose fault was it uh, which time? When you ran out. <laughs> oh, in the grass? All of them. Hey, well, you end up in the grass, it's your fault. Yeah. You know, it's most time. Uh, okay. Yeah. Not sure if you're going to make it. Yeah. 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 No, I know. Well, but you got to remember, I was a crew chief, too, so yeah, yeah. I'm going to blame the, <laughs> no, gonna blame the driver. Yeah. It's, it's, I haven't switched over yet. <laughs> the difference is now when you go off, you know you have to fix it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, when, yeah when someone yeah. else is, or when you're driving, it's someone else's problem yeah. normally. Yeah. Because oh, you, yeah. you started out racing like late models and stuff, right? Uh, modified. It's open wheel modified. Yeah. yeah. On mostly pavement and then switched over to dirt later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's not a whole lot that can be found on those days, but I get the impression you were pretty damn good, were it not for an injury. Uh, you, you know, realistically, right? I'm I'm really hard on on myself, and and I judge other people the same way. From again being in that driver's seat, we we can't relate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was never good enough you know sure. i was okay right i won in in a lot of things but mm-hmm. i wasn't now is you know, that you just because you can't say you were good because you're just not no, that guy no, you, but because if you look at the record you know the record percentage wise when you're racing against you know the guys some of the guys i raced against were yeah. richie evans and charlie jazam back yeah. and, okay you yeah. know george kent the bodines you know yeah. You, the yeah, modified yeah. guys <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. um in, in a local scene i did okay you know one uh at my local track you know and uh some things but i never could make that that break to where i thought i was good Good enough yeah. when i went to work for iraq i felt pretty good about where i was at then and mm-hmm. I, I felt like i was getting to coaching and i was really starting to maybe pick up momentum because i came back to my local tracks and started doing a lot better yeah okay and then i got hurt what happened in the crash that that you got hurt uh i was at flemington new jersey mm-hmm. and it was it's just it was a wicked fast five eighths a mile flat but it was like a skid pad <laughs> we were running these dirt asphalt cars and that, which is basically a USAC Silver Crown car okay. with a big, like, old gremlin body style right. yeah. on it. And we were running, there were dirt cars we were running on pavement. So uh, I think at that time, I actually held the, the one lap track record there at like a 16 flat on a five base of a mile. So it was like 130 miles an hour. Right. It's yeah. wicked fast. So yeah. no softballs, none of that. And they used to run these, these damn 425 lap features. Instead of a 100 lapper, they'd run. And when they dropped the green flag, you just. You just bam slammed. You yeah. had to dig and get to the front. Right. And we got so jammed up. It was up. only 25 laps, and then they would keep yeah, going Yeah, and that they'd way. say, okay, then they'd stop and run another 25 lap. Right. And then, so then you, you, yeah, so you had to no get time. to right. the front. Right. Yeah. And uh, got tangled up with another car, and, you know, it was really weird, but uh, it got in the back of the car, and then the car got in the back of me at the same time I was trying to save it. Yeah. And I had my wheels turned to the right, and when the uh, car behind me hit me, it shot that thing straight across the racetrack. And in the old days, right, guardrail, yeah. swinging ambulance gate. Oh, no way. Oh, went yeah. through, hit the ambulance gate, yeah. you know, front went through the ambulance gate. And then, oh. of course, you mount everything on telephone poles back then, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So it was a big telephone pole and wham, right into my door and just, just spun it back out on the racetrack. That's a softer telephone pole, right? Yeah, yeah. It, was, uh, it was better than concrete, but it was yeah. still pretty hard. Well, it was lined with yeah. wood, yeah. so it was yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like they do now. Yeah. 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 So wow. then, do, do you remember the crash actually happening? Or uh, is this, I don't. Yeah, because uh, the big ones you don't really remember. No. Yeah. Um, I don't. I remember some of the things that happened. It was really weird. I don't remember the crash. And, I, you know, I've told you everything I've told based on watching the videotape. Sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, except, you, you know, I do remember hating those 24, 25 lappers, right? <laughs> but uh, the... Uh, I just remember some things about the hospital. Because with a, a brain injury, it's really wild. Because you wake up, 
one minute you're like, hey, what, hey, what, you know, what's happening? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember waking up in the hospital and my brother's there and there was, they were like, I was like, what's happening? Yeah. What are you doing? Because yeah. then everybody's like, oh my God, he's awake. And <laughs> right, I'm like, right. yeah, what's up? And yeah, they right. said, oh, you had an accident. And I was like, what, on the way home? And they said, no, you know, you crashed at the <laughs> yeah. racetrack. Yeah. I was like, well, all right, because I, I was driving for two people in and I said, well, call Jim and tell him that we're going to be late for New Egypt because I'm thinking it's still Saturday night. <laughs> right. Because like, my brother, the comedian, he's like, Oh, yeah, I guess so. It's Tuesday, you idiot. You know, so uh, I was like, what? And um, yeah. and went in and out of that, had some other issues with swelling, and then went out uh, again for two or three more days, and they, they transferred me to another okay. another hospital. So I had a brainstem injury, and it really was when we started to learn about even if you hold your head and, you know, because I had a left-side head support. Right, yeah. But when it hit and spun, you know, not wearing a Hans, mm-hmm. my head turned so fast it actually, you know, yeah, kind Scar, of the you know, off this. caused my brain to bleed sure. in the stem area. So it was, um, it was interesting there for a yeah. while, you know, memory loss and, and personality change and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it took, um, I worked really hard to get back in the car, get permission to be- get back in the yeah. car. And, and, uh, and, and we got back in, but I knew it wasn't the same. We won, you know, we yeah. got back in and won, yeah. but knew it wasn't the same. How much was balance affected? Uh, you know, the, I, I never really felt like balance was affected unless I was tired or something because mm-hmm. I was on a really hard workout yeah. program yeah. before the crash and then got back on it as soon as I could after. My biggest problem um, and, and for a long time was depth perception. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, I used to play okay. baseball and everything. Yeah. I could not catch a baseball for years after that wow. accident. Really? It was like, oh, I got it, I got it. Yeah. Donk, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, right. you know, you just, I just couldn't. Was one particular eye affected? Mm, don't know, you know, because okay. I didn't think enough to go for glasses, do, do uh, whatever. Sure, you know, sure. you don't want to say anything. Yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. driving anyway. Yeah. You're like, you <laughs> know, all of a sudden, yeah, no, yeah, I just, yeah. I just yeah. suck at baseball. You know, you're like, no, man, I can't, you can't see that coming. You're like, yeah. Yeah. So when you drive now, because you've got a couple of cars you're racing around in, does it still cause problems or are you kind of got on top of it? No, I think, you know, they say the brain heals, you know, those, yeah. those things heal and it just takes time. And I, I really feel, I feel like I'm, 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 back to where you know i want to be you know i, I guess i could use that as an excuse and if i start wrecking the stuff so, oh you know my head entry i'm a depth perceptions off but you know the um I, I feel really good when i'm in the car I, I try and stay you know healthy i try and eat right try and, and mm-hmm. you know and, and i don't push myself too hard sure. you know the races we run are not like what well, you guys run yeah. we run you know 20 yeah. 25 minute sprints right, right. 40 minutes is an endurance an endur- right. for us you know <laughs> uh, so it's good but i enjoy it uh you, you know because um even back uh, oh, in 2010, you know, I started driving sprint cars. I always wanted to drive a sprint car yeah. and run the dirt. And uh, that was a, probably the most physical car that I've ever driven. And it really, you know, felt good. But, it, again, I hadn't been in the car. The accident happened in 91, and I didn't go back to racing until uh, 2009. Wow. Jeez. When you had the accident, did you ever have a doctor come in and tell you you'd never race again? That, like, you know, movie scene we see in every film? I, I had several doctors tell me I shouldn't race again because <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, there's a yeah. little more history in there. You know, I had one doctor who um, has tended to all my stuff. I've, I've, I've uh, broken knee, broken sternum, broken shoulders, got burned <laughs> really bad one time. And, and this guy has known me story. He's passed away now, but okay. he knew me since I was a right. young man. Yeah. And he, he's like, Ray, you know, can you find some, you know, right. some, or, like something else to do? Because right. this is not, you know, so I've got that stack of... Uh, <laughs> x-rays but it, you know it, it was one of those you know again as i was reading about you like nobody's going to tell you that you can't do it you, you know you gotta you gotta do it yeah. and you gotta do it on your own terms and when i climbed out of the car and said look i'm i'm done and which yeah. was at, at the end of 1991 uh i just said then it was on my terms because yeah. i'd been back i got in the car yeah. realized that nobody else was telling me I was telling me yeah. and, and got back and, uh, and and I was okay with that. And I was okay right. with it for a long time. And I was like, well, let, let me, we started doing, they invite you to run these little celebrity races yeah, yeah, and then yeah. that gets you going. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, you're a drug, have a little crack. Yeah. Sorry, you be, <laughs> just all right. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So the next thing you know, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're just shooting heroin directly into your eyebrows. You know, you know, you go, you a little late model deal. Tony Stewart invites you to this late model deal. Next thing you know, you got a couple hundred grand wrapped up in late model stuff. Tony Stewart's crack dealer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read that you did the classic 24 a couple of years ago. I haven't done that race yet. I think it's really neat because it kind of, it's fun racing at night at Daytona. I'm sure you guys probably enjoyed it too with the stock car stuff um, from the crew side, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, 
Daytona is just a special place. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's there's that's what's great about running with the HSR and some of the people that we run with. Mm-hmm. You know, you race at Daytona, and then when we did SVRA, you did Brickyard. Yeah. You know, and the yeah. HSR with Sebring and all these great places. Right. Road Atlanta. So that you know, getting those tracks checked off your bucket list. Yeah, but then being able to do it at night. You know, the HSR will run 24 hours at Daytona. Yeah. They'll run 12 hours at, at Sebring, and we're going to do it again this year. And Dave Roberts is a good friend of mine. Okay. Uh, and and he's got a bunch of cars. He's got friends that's got a bunch of cars. So we've put this over the hill. These old guys together, <laughs> right. and we're going to run all the classes. We're oh, going to nice. run every class, and we're going to run around. Oh, the, that's awesome. We're going to run around the clock. So, uh, so we're going to have some fun and, and and do that. Looking forward to going and do it again this year. But uh, you know, Dave's another one of the crack dealers, like <laughs> like Tony. Because he's like, come drive my Porsche. Come drive yeah. my Porsche. Yeah. yeah, come drive my Porsche. I was yeah. like, ah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and of course, yeah, boy, I got to yeah. have one of those. You know. And so that was that was a GT4 came in, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah. And, you yeah. Know, Club Sport, and it those just. Are great. It, it was a great car for the first time there because you you have that great sense of speed, you yeah. know, 150, 160 sure. miles an hour. But the brakes on that car were incredible, yeah. like incredible. Like I'd, I'd go, oh, I'm not going to, oh, I got to get back on yeah, the gas. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and again, we had uh, we had a blast. And, you know, when you're doing the, the vintage and the classic stuff, there's just not as much pressure. Right. Yeah. And, no, it's a blast. You know, when, yeah. you know when, when you've got to do something. You right, know, and right, be, right. We're, we're racing very expensive car spend a lot of money for a five dollar medallion and we will exactly. run you we will run you yeah. hard for that five dollar yeah. medallion you figured out sports car racing yeah. yeah we did a actually this isn't for the video part but we wanted to talk to you about alan kawicki because we did an alan kawicki documentary a couple of years ago and uh we had no idea he was you know how hard you know was to get along with him and like how his personality was we just knew him as a race car driver basically so i'm just curious on your alan kawicki stories because it sounds like it yeah. was pretty rough six races or something um, I didn't even make it six races with him. <laughs> I, I, I think I made it um, from uh, January to the day before Daytona 500. Okay. Um, and, you know, oh, wow. I, I had yeah. uh, I actually had a lot of respect for what he knew and whatnot and didn't understand him. If I had understood him more, I probably would have never taken the job. Okay. Uh, because, you know, he, we were way better friends probably than we were working together. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like um, you, you you spend so much time around somebody and, and the things that you don't appreciate end up being overriding the things that you do. And uh, Alan was one of the smartest people that I ever met when it came to thinking through things yeah. uh, uh, about a race car. But he... Unfortunately, you know, uh, again, his his family life was different. You know, mom passed away really early, lived with grandma. You know, all those things, right. I think, didn't leave him with a lot of uh, empathy or understanding and or communication skills. Sure, sure. And, and you know, it's uh, – he and I, the, our last day together was not really good. It was like we – I had him by the fire suit. He had me by the shirt, and we were kind of shaking each other. Jeez. You'll never win a championship. You'll never make it in NASCAR. So <laughs> – I guess both of us were wrong yeah. about that. <laughs> but uh, I, I look back and think, thank God that Jeff, I got with Jeff Gordon and we started to kick butt. And Alan, uh, the year after we won the championship, and, and, you know, in 93, we were running good as rookies. We had almost won Atlanta. We, we yeah. had outrun those guys at uh, at Richmond. And he was trying to peek over the, the bench at Darlington and look at my spindles <laughs> or something. I was right. like, come over here. And he's, I said, man, you can look at it. You know, like, hey, I'm yeah. sorry about the stuff I said and congratulations, whatever. Right. And we kind of talked it out. I don't think we were like bro-hugging sure, any, or sure. anything like that. But I think there was a, there was a, hey, yeah, okay, I respect you. You respect me. And he moved on. And then, unfortunately, it was five days later, he, he, he was gone. So so I look back at that and think, okay, everything happens for a reason. You know, um, we, uh, we probably could have been awesome together if we could have got along. But I really think that that is really the key to a lot of people. There's so many great people in motorsports that could have just ran up the numbers unbelievable if they could have got along. And I think that's why Jeff Gordon and I did run up the numbers because we still get along today. Like we get, if he called right now, we'd be, we'd be acting like he'd be acting <laughs> like 18 again. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cool. With the, your NASCAR career, you're doing your, your modified racing and then you end up getting hired by the IROC series yeah. essentially to kind of re re get it going how does that come up like are you already do you know roger penske at all no or, okay no, it's crazy you know again I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm you're gonna find out as we go through this that i'm like the forrest gump of motorsports <laughs> like i'm just this goofy guy i end up in the right place at the right time i read a and quote, i meet these people yeah. and you're like i swear that's me i read that quote that you said basically you're like i didn't think anything that special i just kept getting these great opportunities yeah, yeah. and it's true <laughs> so um 
in uh, 1983 at, at Wall Stadium had run uh, right down to the last night racing against Tony Siscone, one of the greats there, mm-hmm. um, for the point championship and didn't win it. And, you know, I was like, I th- we had the best year we ever had modified racing, and I was in more debt than I'd ever been, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So just that, that type of story. I was like, man, I got to get a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I heard that they're going to bring IROC back, and it's going to be right in Tinton Falls. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over there and get a job. Right. Roger Penske's going to see me drive. I'm going straight to Indy. <laughs> this is how it's going to happen. Going, yeah, yeah, I'm going. Right. Where they see this, you know. So, so you actually had an, like open wheel. I wanted. Ideas. I want, my yeah. dream was to go race Indianapolis. Wow. Okay. That was my, my dream yeah. was to drive Indy cars. Okay. That was why I did the modifieds. And that was my whole dream was to. That was primarily, honestly, why I went to IROC to to get it to work my way into that Indy car yeah. somehow. Wow. And uh, when I went over there, Jay Signori's wife Barbara was there. Jay wasn't, and Barbara hired me, and and I was like the second person they hired, and. And the education there was something I could not even begin to tell you. You know, when you're around Roger Penske and Jay Signori, and then you add the list of drivers and mechanics that I got to work with, and it was like, it, it was the golden ticket to the best education in racing. Yeah, because they're bringing in guys that have literally won championships everywhere to come work with you. And what I, what I read about you is that you were very good at taking multiple drivers from different backgrounds, feedback, and applying it how they wanted it. And that's why you were, you know, really well liked in that paddock, essentially, that garage, I should say. Well, I think it, it did a couple things, and it, it stayed with me through the rest of my career. But being a driver, and as you know, when you, when you talk to somebody that's talking about a car now, you get it. You understand mm-hmm. what they're saying. And being a driver, when you're talking to a driver that has done way more than you could ever hope to do, yeah. you're going to treat him with respect. Because I think lots of times I see crew chiefs and drivers fight because the crew chief will be thinking, that guy doesn't know what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah. But you know, you you, you got to drop that side and start thinking about, okay, what, what does this guy really need? And for some reason, you know, I've, I've always been like that with a car. Like, as soon as you start talking about your car, like, I, I almost stop thinking about you and your car starts to appear in my head, yeah. like your your suspension and your what you're doing and what your feet and your steering wheel. And I would talk to those guys a lot about that. We're where are you right there in the corner and where's your steering wheel and where's your brake and where's your gas? And, you know, I just have always had a decent understanding of how the weight moves around in the yeah. car and how the suspension moves up and down. And, uh, again, going back to that time at IROC, we did so much testing with the Goodyear people on the radial tire. I learned so oh, yeah, much sure with you. those guys. Yeah. It was, you know, so that, that just stuck with me. But I think being a driver, I've always had a ton of respect for other drivers uh, and what they're, what they're able to do. So I listened intently. Right. Yeah, because it's very common if you look in, especially now, like uh, the the stock car garage, you have like, you know, Keselowski's, Paul Wolf is a former really good driver. Rodney Childers is like a WKA champion. Cole Perm is very good in, in late models and things like that. So in sports car racing, we don't see that as commonly because it's more of like a, I think the mechanics are sort of groomed pretty early to be a mechanic. You know what I mean? Like I, I just tried to do that because I needed a way to get in the paddock, mm-hmm. you know, to be a driver. So my dad was a mechanic. That's why I kind of went that way. But it seems like a lot of really good stock car drivers in the lower ranks end up becoming amazing crew chiefs. Yeah, and I yeah. think you need to know both. I think, you know, as a, I, you probably understand that car makes you a better driver. Not that you're thinking about, you know, some guys overthink it. You know, you, you get you all with Rusty. You're like, but Rusty's my buddy. But he'd be out there, I'll race the track bar car, and you'd be like, no, no, just tell me if it's loose or tight. Let me, you you figure that out. Let me, you know, because that could be something else. And But you understand in that car, when you're going in there, you, you can come in and say to them, I feel like this thing is doing this you know check that out or or whatever but uh, you you know i i just don't i I, i've said before i think they should take all the crew chiefs who've never driven and go make them run legends cars or something for a little while just so they could do it you know or put them in a right seat car and go for a ride with a driver yeah sure yeah it'd be terrifying but (laughs) yeah yeah. um at the height of you and jeff's success would he ask for specific things like you know softer springs or something or would he just tell you what the car is doing you would make the decision uh, he never suggested anything. He huh. didn't like me to raise it. He didn't like he, he was we, we still kid about this about it. he can't could not raise the track bar. You know, okay. he just like I'd be like, Jeff, I'm only going to raise it around. That's like 60,000. Yeah. Don't touch it. Wait <laughs> kid. So we had this track bar deal. But uh, right. yeah, I think it's because I scared him one time, made him too loose somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he was very, very good at doing his job, which was to sit there and give me the most accurate information of what that car was doing. He never cluttered his mind thinking softer spring, this, whatever. He would stop, close his mind, and play a lap back and really think about where the weight was on each tire because he knew I, that was important to me. And he would try and give that lap and pick a spot on the track that right here it starts 
this because we used to have a thing, you know, obviously making lefts all the time, except we, we did pretty good on the road course too. Yeah. But, but uh, <laughs> you know, just look at some part of that corner, whether it's a right or left, right. you know, your left front wheels got to get below your left rear wheel. And, you know, we'd work on that, making that short so we could get long runs down the straightaway and stuff. But, you know, we, we, we kid and, and whatnot now, but, but I can tell you, I never realized how lucky I was to have been a crew chief for Jeff Gordon because if you couldn't figure out what he needed in the car the way he explained it to you, you, you needed to be selling yogurt or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Just not, he, he, he made it really simple for right, me. Right, right. That's awesome. So, so on, the, on the Iraq stuff, you got to work with legend after legend. Was there anything you noticed that you saw in Jeff Gordon from other drivers? Like is there a common trait amongst these drivers that are just upper level? Their ability to just slow down time, like a second to you and I, just and, and one second to them and the amount of information they can process. Mm -hmm. I mean, when because I got to test the IROC cars because that's how I was, I was going to work my way. Into, I was going to drive for yeah, IROC, yeah, right? yeah, but, yeah. you know, and, you know, well, there's lots of times like going around Michigan, 170, 170 miles an hour. I, I was just going through the corner trying not to crash, right? <laughs> right? Where those guys come in, oh, yeah, and this and way, and by the way, and this and that, and there's a mm -hmm. guy in there with a hat that says this, you know, you're like, you're, yeah. they just, it's that whole perception of time with the great ones, mm -hmm. just the information and the you know the, the the way they process that stuff, just different. Yeah, you know it's just just different. You know it was that way with Jeff. Who was the worst IROC driver? And by that I mean somebody that doesn't race stock cars that is now thrown into a stock car based series that you had to work with. Oh man, it's hard to say. Oh, who got who was the worst? Because they were all fantastic yeah, all awesome, drivers, right? but it was so hard to get them to go. I. They'd give up. The steering wheel is way too big. You're like, no, man, you, you're going to need that thing. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, and they'd be like, yeah, you know, but I think it's just hard to, it's hard to get. So we used to not, you know, um, I, certainly we, we'd laugh knowing like, hey, or they'd go like in t two laps at Watkins Glen and they'd come in this good, you know, and, and they'd be like, hey, the brakes are just like smoked. You're done. Thing. You know, you're yeah. like, oh, you'd be good. You know, and then five laps, they'd have none. But I tell you, some of those guys that stayed after it, would would really surprise you the amount of talent that they had you yeah. know Alonso jr uh was by far and away one of the best guys i ever yeah. worked at. i didn't get to work with mark martin who and legendary iraq driver but 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 i'll tell you al al jr was good um hurley haywood was good hurley 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 was hurley yeah. you know I mean, people go hurley here I'm, uh, and you're like hey i'm telling yeah, you the guy it, yeah. the guy was good yeah. at figuring that car out flicking that big car around and yeah. you know we'd, we'd go to road course he was good you know and you know there was nobody that came through there that just sucked while i was there <laughs> right, you know, right, like, right, oh right. who's this guy you know well, yeah. well actually he's a formula one yeah, yeah. yeah he, did, he just there was nobody that just sucked yeah so you're working with iraq and then like my timeline's a little bit uncertain what happens between there and the Kawiki thing. Okay, so um, the IROC deal, um, I was there from uh, December of 83 till February of 89. <clears throat> and I got an opportunity to build some cars for Dick Johnson, the Australian touring yeah, car champion, yeah. and start my own shop. And I wanted to go back racing because I had wore Roger out about the cars and this and that, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I just, I wanted to race and I wasn't getting an opportunity. Right. And uh, so I went back, started my shop, took the Dick Johnson program on, started building my own cars, and w we started to make some headway, uh, and I was doing some side work for uh, Andy Petrie mm -hmm. and Harry Gant oh, and for cool. Alan Kowicki. Yeah. Uh, I was doing some things, and you need to talk to Andy Petrie about some of the things we built for Harry Gant's car yeah. when they were when yeah, races that, that, uh, that were... Uh, that were <laughs> questionable? Yeah, questionable. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and um, I got... In 1991, I had, I was ready. I had a midget car we were going to drive. I had my, my NASCAR type modified, my dirt asphalt modified, and an ARCA car. We were going to go racing. It got hurt, I think, the second week of Flemington in the dirt car. And uh, it, it just it kind of unwound everything. And, and uh, at the end of the year, I was like, man, I got to do something, yeah. right? And Mike Joy said, talked Alan Kowicki into it and say, look, you need this guy. And yeah. I just didn't, you know, I'd seen these other people go through Allen's and not yeah, be yeah. able to get along. I was like, yeah. oh, I get along with him. I get along with anybody. I was working on being working. And uh, so it didn't, it didn't work out. But yeah. what I always skip over that in between. So I leave IROC, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm working and Andy Petrie calls me one day while I'm doing stuff for him. And he goes, hey, we're doing this uh, 
for race deal with this kid, and uh, I don't have time to do it. I need you to come down here and help me out. Will you crew chief it? Yeah. I was like, yeah, who is it? He goes, Jeff Gordon. I was like, oh, man, I just seen that kid he just I, he just like drove like, over yeah. a guy the other night and, and, and this is just this like dirt star yeah. that no one knows well, about thursday night thunder right? yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but i used to watch it all the time and i was right. like oh, i know that kid yeah so we went down there that was a show on espn kids yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. but it was it was man we hit it off yeah we, you know we yeah. did some races and hit it off we went to charlotte and we would have we were gonna run qualifying the top five our first time at charlotte right. and it rains and we have to run the hooligan race he gets wrecked so we go to we go to rockingham and we're, you know, we're running. So Andy comes over. He goes, how, how are you? So we're good. He goes, good. Like, good. You think you make the race? I said, no, no. I, I, we got a shot the pole. Yeah. He's like, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> I was like, no. And he goes, come on, really? Well, good. I said, no, I'm telling you. We're pretty good. Yeah. We go out and sit on the outside pole. And people are like, who in what? the hell yeah. are these yeah. guys? <laughs> you know, so. That's and awesome. Did, you know, then I came. I went back home to race, yeah. and uh, and and Jeff and I always just stayed in touch. Well, so uh, uh, one of the one of the key kind of message points we always hit at when we get the opportunity for sort of there's a lot of young aspiring engineer mechanic types who listen to our stuff, and the single most important message we always try to translate is be likable. If you're 22, you have to be likable, otherwise no one's going to want to work with you. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the story I've heard is that as your NASCAR career moved along you know jeff was in this ford development program and he gets put over to bill davis racing Mm -hmm. and bill davis really had no interest in working with you uh and jeff basically said no i loved working with this guy a few years ago you need to bring him back in this in this deal and that's kind of how the the relationship really forged into the nascar side uh yeah jeff pushed for me but bill still didn't you know bill didn't know me and you know yeah. they were kind of a low but you were like he'd probably seen a thousand guys come out of the modifieds right. and yeah. try right. and root, change the world you know mark knew me a little a little bit but uh when uh when i quit quickies that day or got fired just depending on you because <laughs> like i said he's shaking me you're fired yeah. i'm shaking him <laughs> I and he quit yeah. you know um, so we quit fired each other uh, <laughs> but uh they decided to go different yeah, ways yeah, yeah um i'm walking out the gate and yeah. I bumped into Preston Miller for Ford, yeah. uh, and Preston Miller, and I knew Preston Miller and Lee Morse. They they were when I was on the Dick Johnson program. Great guys. This and sounds like an ESPN movie. Yeah. yeah. Way, I'm walking out the gate. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. hey. Yeah. Person whose name I'm going to identify now. Humpy Wheeler. Yeah. 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 And, they go well, and he, and yeah. he said, "Where are you going?" So I'm going home. He said, "Hotel? No, New Jersey. Quit. Don't have a job." He said, "Whoa." whoa, whoa. So he talked to me. He said, "Let me call you later." He calls me. He said, "Hey, come out track tomorrow." Mm-hmm. And so get there, and he said, "What? Jeff's really in need of a crew chief." You know, watch go over and talk in what to would them. have been the equivalent of Xfinity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a Bush car. The Babe Ruth car went over there and saw Bill Davis. And Bill said, "Look, I just don't have the money to to pay him right now." So Ford says, "We'll pay him. We'll pay him. Go over there." So Ford paid me. They paid my then my salary to go over, which wasn't a lot back then. You know, it was just a, you know, enough to keep him from starving. And uh, and we had a blast over at Bill Davis's, and we got on a roll. Uh, you know, it's just there were only. I think five or six of us total, including Bill. And, you know, Bill drove the truck and, you know. We, yeah, but, that's but we, awesome. Man, I think we sat on, uh, I was only there for, gosh, uh, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 races. And the time I was there, we, we won three races, swept swept both Charlottes and won, uh, I think I think they got 11 poles, but I was there for seven or eight of them. Yeah, yeah so it was it, it was really good. But then Jeff wanted to go cup. And, and uh, I th- the story is that, you know, that it, Jack Roush, you went to Roush, and Roush said, no, we hire our own crew chiefs. You don't bring crew chief. And Jeff's like, ah, well, I want to bring this guy. And when he went to Rick Hendrick, Rick's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Rick, you gotta you, you gotta love Rick Hendrick. He's like, yeah, who's this guy now? Was he do? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, you like him? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, if he doesn't produce, we'll fire him. Who cares? You know, but and, and, you know, but he uh, whatever. Yeah, you know, but that that's I think why Jeff and I were so successful at yeah, Hendrick, right? Because Rick Hendrick was so open minded. We right. were doing stuff that was way different than his other two cars were doing. Yeah. From the pit stop stuff to yeah. the car preparation to yeah. way different, and yeah. he. He supported us the whole time. But that's kind of my point. So back to the sort of being likable thing. Had you not left an impression with Jeff during Thursday Night Thunder, you know, he might not have gone to bat for you at every other sort of point in his career to sort of say, like, I like working with this guy if he can, if we can do anything to make it work. Well, I think there's still got to be that. There's got to be that chemistry, right? I've yeah. worked with people that, I, you know, again, you look at, I'm the same guy that Alan hated. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. The, the, it... I think um, for your, your your younger engineer guys, keeping your your 
ego in check and really understanding when you go into something and you're surrounded by people who are more experienced that even though you may know some things they don't know, give them the benefit of the doubt because you're going to think, well, why are they doing this? And you don't realize that throughout the years they've been all the way around and they're back to this spot again for a reason. Right. And I tried to be respectful for, to people, and I, I, I listened uh, a lot, and I asked the heck out of questions yeah. to where people would, you could tell the people who would, if they think you have an interest, yeah. most people who've been in the sport a long time want to pass that knowledge on. Yeah, they yeah, want to yeah, pass yeah. that knowledge on. Yeah. But if you go in and you're like, nah, you're, you know, you're being cocky or whatever, nobody else is going to tell you anything. Yeah. 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 How was Chad Knauss when you first got a hold of him? Like a sponge. That guy, yeah. it, Chad is one of the most committed people I think I've ever met in my life. He wanted a job, drove up from Alabama, was working for Stanley Smith, and then who later got injured at Talladega, but slept in his car because yeah. oh, wow. he knew I got there at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and he's like, I'm going to get this guy going in the door. So that impressed me. Sat down. He came in. And he said, I'll do whatever job. I can do body work. I can do mechanical work. Whatever. I'll do whatever yeah. job you got. And we had an opening for a assistant body man. So, and you sit down and you do the old, okay, son, so where do you want to be five years from now? And he's looked me in the eye and he said, I want your job. <laughs> he said, I want to be a crew chief. I want to be a crew chief. I want to be the best crew chief in, in motorsports. And he has never wavered off of that. He has stayed committed to that. Yeah. Through everything he's ever done in his life was to get to that position he, he's in. So super, super impressive guy. You know, when he writes his book, that's one for the young guys to read. Yeah. Because you know to do anything to yeah. get to where you are yeah, you driving that car. You yeah. had to stay committed, right? Yeah. And you got told no a lot. And, yeah. and you failed a lot. And you had all these things, but you didn't give up. And that's the one thing I will say to Chad. He is, you know, his commitment to being the best crew chief has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like the guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but we were we were laughing because he's in that video that that refused to lose video, and we're like, oh, look at that little kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah look at that young guy. Well, he, Steve Latart, uh, is yeah. in there, and some of the guys that are still key uh, figures at Hendrick now are, are are in there. You know that culture. You know, if you build the culture right, it's like the Penske organization. People are like, well, how did you do it? I was like, I didn't know any better. I took everything I'd learned at IROC and Penske and just did it. That's what we did. And, and, you know, right, you know, so somewhere at the top of that tree, you know, Roger's DNA is in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. So 1995, you get the largest NASCAR fine in history to yeah. that point. At that time. Yeah. 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 Um, what was the it, it's the all I could find was unapproved suspension parts. But like, what was the actual we'll call it a great what? No, performance advantage is what Slugger calls yeah. it. Yeah. What was the actual performance advantage that you had done? Uh, that yeah. uh, that we had. We had um, hubs made of un unobtainium. <laughs> oh. It's really hard to get. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> taste it. Everyone thinks, ah, it was, they had this titanium hub because the sparks and they did this and that. No. Okay. So we had qualifying hubs that we would lighten and then we would put a plate over them mm -hmm. and TIG weld them. Well, we had a new crew member that week and he takes the qualifying hubs that were scalloped out just for, you know, speed they were packed with like really really light grease and yeah, also because yeah. we, good for we really went hard after yeah. qualifying and then they you know he got in a hurry and mig welded it okay and then it didn't take them off they were not supposed to be on the car for the 600 they were qualifying only okay so when as the race went on where the hub was mig welded the, the metal plate started to crack and it finally broke and you know, that was one of those ones when Gary and I had been fighting, you know, pretty good. Gary <laughs> didn't help it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he had me, you know, he's like, oh, that's an unapproved part. And the reason for the fine, truthfully, and I deserved it, uh, was the fact that the wheel came off the car. Oh, and that yeah. put the fans in danger. Safety, yeah, for sure. So it was, uh, they really went, I was almost uh, about to be suspended over that. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky that it didn't get suspended, but I also... That that was one of those ones that that was on me. That look that that was something that we shouldn't have been machining those parts. They, so is the legend is they were titanium and they had all you know <laughs> you know it was sparking because it was just grinding along on the sway bar. Right. But uh, sure. the we, point the can point we make was the legend uh, though and just say yeah that it yeah was yeah like, it was unobtainium. Yeah, they got them for yeah. F one team. Yeah, <laughs> actually actually when we were in Phoenix testing, you know, we, we shot over to Area fifty one and there was a crashed <laughs> spaceship <laughs> over there. So okay. you should machining those first. things was a bitch, but uh, you know it was, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You should talk to Don Garlitz about that. Yeah. So, but uh, so that was that. That was the that was the fine. Okay. 
Is that the best story you've heard about yourself that's not accurate? Oh, no. I, you know, you th- ha- about this. Uh, yeah, Ryan Blaney asked me, he goes, dude, I heard a story about you guys with a car, and you could control it electronically. I was like, what? <laughs> you had active suspension? Yeah. yeah. In a you stock know, c- car. Controlling a car electronically. Um, and I wondered, they did think that we had some kind of control, because one time this NASCAR official comes through with this, like, this clear satellite, like they used to use on the NFL football game sidelines. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Right. He's like, oh, we're just, you know, you guys are the engine control from the, I was like, no. <laughs> they, uh, no. One time they, uh, we, um, we came up with position-sensitive shocks that were legal at that time. So okay. at, at Michigan, we put the position-sensitive in that thing. It slammed down mm-hmm. on the track, and we sat on the pole by like a second. <laughs> oh, they got, you know, so. Yeah, that typically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On a 25-second lap. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. the cars would sit in the garage and take half time to come up. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? So they would never figure out we were doing that. But So 24 cars in the garage, and we get the pole with new track record, and there was this photographer who was a big man. He jumps up on the back bumper of the car and starts clapping pictures of Jeff. Of course, I grab him by the yeah, belt. Yeah, you know what's coming, but, right? Right. But now he's got the car down on the ground, and they push it straight over to the inspection bay. Yeah. And man, that thing's like three quarters of an inch low. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, this is a problem." I was like, "No, no, we're no, okay. fine." It's you know? okay. And they're like, "No," and I said, "It wasn't low." That guy stood on the back of it, and they're like, "Oh, well, let's pull it back, push it back up." Still hadn't been enough time, so it's still like a half inch low. <laughs> so they, uh, You're like, they like, "Okay, you better go over and get Gary. We're good. You know, this is this. You know, we yeah, got." Yeah. So then the, you know. At Ricky Rudd's guy, Billy Engel, they, they had qualified second. He's standing there like, oh, man, they're good. They're going to get the pole now, right? <laughs> so they mosey over. They get Gary. You know, five, ten minutes later, Gary comes over. Oh, well, what seems to be the problem here? Well, we got a low car. I say, the car's not low, Gary. Because now I'm thinking, car ain't low anymore. You about to say, he's had <laughs> enough time to build himself back up. Yeah. So they back it in. Boom, car's proper height. He looks at it. He's like, oh, oh what's the problem? He's, and they're like. He's done something, Gary. <laughs> they take my radio. They take my radio, yeah. right? They take right. my radio. They yeah, think yeah. I got a dial. I can race and lower car the radio. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, so then they take, they take the shocks, and they make me take the shocks apart. And they're looking for little things in, inside to raise and lower. They take the jack screws out of the car, looking for things to raise and lower. Right. And I'm holding the shock. And they're looking. I'm holding it. They're looking right at it. When you asked before about I was like, no, you're looking right. And you could see the, you know, the, the slots in the shock shaft. For where the position's a sensitive piston and yeah. everything was, and they're just like, no, there's nothing there. I'm like, no, I guess you're okay. Nothing there. <laughs> That's awesome. Is that your favorite? <laughs> so I was gonna say, if, of of your performance enhancements, is that your favorite one? Well, um, that was a good one. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking trying <laughs> so to. So many. Yeah. yeah. We, well, well, we had some see. pretty good aerodynamic enhancements with the cars. Uh, you know, that we just we found in the tunnel. You know, the 24 cars. If you look at them. They're really weird looking because the right side so low and the left side was high, but we realized in y'all, you know, we were actually sealing the it right out, side yeah. off and it, yeah. and the, creating a vacuum underneath and yeah. had a little a bit of underbody aerodynamics. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that we did was was pretty cool. Our, you know, we were one of the first guys to really get the rear sway bar to work mm-hmm. in a yeah. car. And then, you know, of course, they outlawed that. And, yeah. um, but, you know, some of the the stuff that we did, I, I think, was was good. And, and um uh, you know, far ahead of its time, but it was a lot of it was just simple racing, yeah. and it came down to a lot of things that we did with the shock absorbers that other people really weren't into back then. Because when I was at Penske, again, I did all of the or at IROC did all of the radial tire testing for Goodyear mm-hmm. and all the development work on the Penske shock absorber. Oh, nice, yeah. So you, you had some data. So when yeah. I moved, when Jeff and I moved full time into Cup, guess what? Radial tires and owner serviceable shock absorbers were the were the thing. Yeah. So we do a pass along question. We just kind of we have a couple of things we need to knock out of the way for you. Have to get going. So we sat down with one of my all time heroes, Craig Breedlove, last week, and uh, he wanted to know, without knowing that it was going to be you, <laughs> I think the the question might be a little different, but he wanted to <clears throat> he wanted to know what's the fastest you've ever driven, punk. Punk, yeah. yeah. Well, he could. And you know, right. it's funny. When I saw that, I was excited because he would be one of the few people. I stopped him at a race in California and said, holy crap, yeah. you're Craig. Will you take your picture with me? True story. Got a picture of me and Craig Breedlove mm-hmm. hanging on the show because the, he was the guy. Yeah. Spirit of America, I mean, uh, the guy. So, um, 
probably the fastest I've ever been in my life was 208 miles per hour, which I know that he drives back and forth to work that fast, <laughs> <laughs> probably. But uh, did that in a top alcohol dragster at Frank Hawley's Dragster School. Oh, oh that's cool. That's just cool. ran the, my ghost. We ran the ghost 196 miles an hour at, at uh, on the straightaway at Pocono. But Jesus. but that's uh, yeah. But but 208 was a dragster, 196 in a stock car. We don't know who our next guest is. We don't. No. So if you could kind of yeah. get in the now that you've kind of got a sense of what we do, if you could ask a generic racer, and keep in mind these aren't all uh, drivers or engineers, they're journalists, they're all kinds of people just in some form of racing. Um, what would you want to ask our next guest? It's probably been asked, but why, why motorsports rather than another sport? What would your answer be? I just never had had the passion for anything but motorsports. Not. Yeah. You know, and that killed my dad. Not killed, you know, but he, because he, my dad played semi-pro football and baseball. Mm-hmm. And okay. I was a decent baseball player. And he's like. So like, you I were going to be a stick and ball player as far as he was concerned. Yeah. And you just wouldn't do it. What did your dad do? He ended up being, he was a, a my, my family came from, they were uh, Masons, Brick Masons. But oh. then his later years, he worked in a Texaco station as a mechanic. Right. Oh, okay. But still never really did anything with racing until I, until I started. And, you know, the day that I told him that I was quitting, I didn't want to play high school baseball, yeah. it was like, and then I go and I get this stock car and I bring it home. It's like a 62 <laughs> Chevy Nova. It's got one seat, no windshield, it's got a screen. He's like, what? what is this? Yeah. Cause he was, so he wasn't into racing no. at all. No. Yeah. And yeah. He, he, my dad looked exactly like Buddy Epson from the Beverly Hillbillies. And I think he used to look at me like sometimes like I was Jethro. He'd be oh. like, boy. What are you going to do with that card? It's only got one seat in it. You know, stuff like that. You know? I'm going to be somebody. You'll yeah. see. So nowadays, it's almost like a rule that if you're a crew chief in, in NASCAR, at almost any level, you have a college degree as an engineer or something along those lines. Did you go to college? No. Interesting. I didn't. Um, I'm not sure. You know, you, the woulda, shoulda, coulda. I, I, I look back and think it would have helped me. But by the same token, starting earlier in racing helped me too. And uh, I'm nothing like Smokey Eunuch, but I am one of those people, too, that I don't get the equations. It doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I get a little bit about the true geometry, you know, you know, building, designing, and, and understand the metallurgy. And for the things that come to me naturally are the, the mechanical things. And I do have that ability to, not that my brain is a CAD CAM, but I do have a, I do have a ability to see those mechanical things. And I, 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 when I look back and I think, you know, so I certainly didn't miss the partying because when we were racing, we, you know, we, we did all the, the partying too. But uh, <laughs> I wish, uh, you know, there, there are things I think that college can teach you. And I think right now to where the sport's headed, I don't think there's any way that you can, you can do it the old way and, and, be, and be good. You're either going to be an engineer or you're going to be surrounded by engineers because the sport is so technical. And the tools that we use now almost require an engineering degree or a lot of experience where the tools that I used growing up are much different. So um, I, didn't, I didn't go to college. I, I do recommend um, people look hard at college from the automotive side, though, yeah. especially if you're going to design and build now. Right. Well, I mean, even if software isn't controlling the cars the same way it would, say, a road racing car, I mean, you look at a guy like Cole, who there's, the, the thing he admits to being one of his biggest advantages is simulation things like that, which is, of course, all, all software-based. And engineers are taught to problem-solve, and that's what a crew chief does. You know? It's kind of a sore subject, but we have to bring it up because I know we're going to get blasted if we don't. So we had a very long interview with Jeremy Mayfield, who had pretty choice words for his experience working with you. Have you heard that? episode or anything did anybody uh-huh. we, we we thought for sure somebody would no. be like hey you gotta listen to this because he's just i mean he's very open about yeah. his experiences and his take on them um but we're not the only ones that he's told that story to mm-hmm. you know like it's you can find it everywhere um do you have a rebuttal or a you seem very content with your life you seem like a very happily at peace guy yeah um you know the i know that jeremy said a lot of things uh, you know jeremy and i have talked uh, and you know the the we had a lot of success together and a really good friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, things changed in our lives. Uh, and I think that it's been well published the things that changed in my life. And it's, it's well published in things that changed in his. And um, 
I don't hold anything against him. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, it'd be great if we could always go back the way we were. I mean, I understand the battle uh, that that he's he's gone through, um, and uh, you know, I don't agree with some of the performance issues that he talked about, and I was pretty open about that because yeah. I, I felt like I gave him every opportunity that I gave to Casey Kane or Scott Riggs or yeah. Bill Elliott, yeah. uh, Elliott Sadler, whoever. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's something that I learned at Rick Hendrick. You know, you give everybody the same, and that, and then, and then they, whatever happens, going to happen. Right. But I feel like, uh, you know, there was a lot of emotion and then some other things in in the middle of uh, of what uh, you know again what what the, the comments that jeremy made at yeah. that time and you know in the end i think a lot of the reasons for that have come out in the press over and over again and uh, i said don't wish him any harm uh always liked them but you know it's it happens sometimes when people split up there's always there's always two stories yeah, but right. you know i like i say you know time is the thing that that will at, at some point tell the truth yeah right yeah or or, or find the facts so right God, uh, i hope not <laughs> you're in well, trouble yeah, no, it, 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 it's a true me we may all be gone but at some point <laughs> at some point it, it it comes out you know someday you know we're going to find out the whole kennedy thing you know right, I, right, I, right. but it's all but you know um with uh with that stuff i, I hold no ill uh, i hold no ill with 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 Jeremy, I, I really don't. We had some great times. Jeremy Mayfield was a great driver in his day, and he was one of the guys who could run your car in the top ten anywhere you went, win you a couple races a year, and not tear your stuff up. Yeah. And you know, when he was that guy, we got along great. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Um, you know, obviously he was very public about how kind of distracted you he felt you were with the program uh, between Aaron's deal and just the fact that his performance wasn't there, so on and so forth. Um, Eventually, he was dismissed. Was that a performance thing? Was that because he was too disruptive? What was the eventual reason that you let him go? Uh, I think the disruption, but the fact that um, that we just didn't want to be uh, involved in a lot of different things that we couldn't control mm -hmm. at that time, and it wasn't up to me to... Right. Was his behavior out of control beyond just the things he was saying? Uh, there were a lot of things that didn't make sense to me. Um, there was a, you know, that, that, and as I said, I felt like I knew him pretty well and I knew his performance and understood his uh, ability to drive a car and communicate. Yeah. And there were a lot of things that were happening that just no longer made sense. And to me, it wasn't, it wasn't coming from the same guy yeah, yeah, yeah. that, uh, that I had worked with. Right. So more of a fun topic that we like to ask, uh, the more successful parties that we've interviewed, especially in the NASCAR world, because at the height of your success, I would say it's probably the commercial height of NASCAR. So a lot of money was coming in the sport. You've done very well for yourself. What's the first dumb thing you bought when you got big NASCAR money? Prada sunglasses. <laughs> Wait, what? You really you knew yeah. right away. Yeah. You knew right away. <laughs> I just remember walking out of the thing going, I just bought a damn pair of three hundred dollars sunglasses. What's the matter with me? Did they last? Did you? Get no, them? I didn't like them. <laughs> After a while, nothing against Prada. Please don't yeah, sue me. Yeah, you yeah. know, but I was like, ah, it's not me. Give me my Ray Bans back. <laughs> right. You know, I'm you a just Ray Ban guy. You just call them bands. Yeah, I'm a Wayfair guy. Yeah. Ray, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was uh, that was that's dumb. Yeah. Huh? So, yeah. Um, oh, Jeff is. I would say Jeff is one of the more stylish guys in NASCAR. I don't know if he started that way or if he developed into that way as he became more iconic. Did that translate onto you? Because, I mean, we've noticed, uh, especially in the last few years as you've been doing more media, like you're, you're very attentive to your style. Is that a Jeff thing? Is that how you've always been? Um, I think it just how you've – now my thing is, is, is TV and representing yeah. sponsors, yeah. Right? Right, right? And, and you know, the, so now I, I, I have to be that guy that's moved in with a little bit of an executive mm -hmm. out front okay. role. Mm -hmm. okay. um, with uh, – when you're crew chief, man, you know, they give you everything. You know how many right, years, right. like, if it did not have a logo on it, I didn't even have it in my closet. Yeah. Like, when, I, when I stopped racing, I had to buy clothes. I was like, oh, my God, no one's giving me jeans and shirts right. and sneakers right. and jackets. Yeah. What's going on I here? I mean, everything said had Chevrolet on it or right. DuPont or yeah. Dodge right. or, you know. Um, so it, it uh, I think that style, Erin, um, my, my wife, has she said, "Hey, you might want to do you. So I think she's uh, <laughs> so stop wearing the DuPont she, jacket. Yeah, she, yeah, she has a real influence. She has a little bit of did, did, uh, yeah, input. Did yeah, you ever have one of those like NASCAR jackets? Like it looked like the driver's suit. 
Because they had a DuPont. Oh, one no, for, no, no, you didn't I run didn't one of those. those. But, the, you okay. know, the leather jacket, yeah. the, the Jeff Hamilton leather jacket, you had to have yeah, it. Yeah, you got to have that. A bunch <laughs> of stuff all over it. Uh, so you had to have it. But, uh, and, you know, or the whatever, you, you know, you got your stuff and you wore it for the year and, you know, you got X pair of jeans and, right. and that was it. And yeah. so, but, um, you know, Jeff is a stylish guy, yeah. uh, but no, he's had no influence. Jeff's had influence on me on several other things that we probably shouldn't even talk about. Uh, <laughs> Hold Jeff, on. Wait. Jeff will get you in trouble. I mean, I, I love yeah. the guy. He'll get you in trouble. Okay. Every time that I've been out late at night or <laughs> or had some splaining to do, yeah. I've been with Jeff. You know, it's like <laughs> Jeff, uh, Jeff has no problem. Uh, you know, we our buses were parked together at yeah. Knoxville. We had a great time. And, yeah. the, you know, the, the, the fun part about that is, you know, I love him like a brother and yeah. have since the first day I met him and that's just not changed right that's we were great. texting back and forth when he was over at the Goodwood Revival yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know like kids you know um, <laughs> so with the texting now we communicate right. uh, you know but, do you uh, use emojis uh, yeah sometimes we do we do I put the, like, I, I, he did you know he's got thumbs up and clapping I do the uh, the Ray-Ban guy because when when I critique for him I was always wearing Ray-Ban so yeah. he knows yeah. it's me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, are, you are the emoji yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of people didn't know that yeah. Yeah. but you yeah, are they got actually that the me. sunglass yeah. emoji yeah. All right. do, you, do, you, do you keep a modern circle of, of guys that, that we would know in terms of friends because I, I gotta know who's the most inappropriate texter oh boy the most inappropriate uh <laughs> is, it, is it Jeff? <laughs> he knows right away. Yeah, we, we don't need to. I mean, we'll want to see it. Online. Yeah, the, like, we'll bleep the, the name. The photo <laughs> that you really can't share, that kind of thing. Oh, it, that'd be Don Prudhomme. The snake. Oh, the snake. Okay. The I snake, can see that. Uh, I can see the, that. The, uh, I love, you know, Don Prudhomme is the coolest man on the planet. Yeah. Period. Um, 75, I think, or yeah, six he's still. There, yeah. Amazing guy. But uh, we're in that in that circle. We do some some desert trips and stuff with him and Ron Pratt and Rusty and a bunch of guys Jeff goes yeah. but uh but yeah it'd have to be the snake <laughs> okay. that's, okay. that's great um <clears throat> do you know what the phrase BOP means mm -hmm. balance of performance oh I thought you said bring your own bottle no, no. <laughs> I do uh, balance of performance now because of, of getting in road racing and really enjoying it yeah mm -hmm. what is your stance uh on basically your performance then potentially being your downfall um i don't like it from the mechanical and crew chief side of me but i understand it from keeping the sport from going extinct yeah and that's what we talked about before about bill france and that mm -hmm. benevolent dictator in order to keep us from being like going extinct ourselves we would just keep we would just keep doing whatever until yeah. there were three cars racing right, and then you'd right. have nobody to it's race. An arms race yeah so uh I, I, I get it. You know, I, I, I certainly get it because the, the, like Bill said, the sport's bigger than us. Yeah. So how do we keep that sport going so people will want to come and do it, and it's not going to be good for you every day. So um, I get it. I think mostly with the the uh, road race cars, mm -hmm. you do it with weight, right? Or do you do uh, it with all kinds of things? Right. I just, um, for me, it's important that they do it scientifically and accurate yeah. I've seen that done that makes it swing too far the other yes. way so yeah. as long as I, I don't really have a problem with it if it's done accurately right so you represented you know once you left Hendrick and, and Jeff to basically run your program that was that was factory backed by, by, by Dodge did you have to do any politicking on the BOP side I mean obviously we know BOP as it relates to sports car because it's nearly it's pretty much a weekly activity but i have to assume there is some politicking within the nascar ranks when you're at a factory level yeah thank <laughs> constantly now yeah. with the, what they're doing with the cars and the common templates and everything being the same it's not as much but you'd go you know you'd start sandbagging at daytona and when even when we started designing the cars i knew what i wanted so you're politicking well the bumper is not really this and we've moved it here because you used to measure your kick out from the uh, air okay. dam and yeah, yeah. i wanted an extra half inch and you know and then so you, you, so, so you're starting to so you're basically then, falsifying the information on the street car yeah to try yeah, and you, get you, the specs you, you and, want. And you, you just start politicking and creating this this vision that, right. know, man, the Dodgers need help. The Dodgers need help. You know, I mean, then we went down there and took the front row, and they ended up giving a <laughs> quarter inch, I think, to the Chevrolets and Fords yeah. right away. And then they politicked, and they got a little bit ahead of us. And it was just, it, it, that, again, it's part of the game right. uh, of, of what you used to do, but, you know, not anymore. And I'm sure you guys do it now. I don't want to give away any mean? names, but a very famous race car driver who I know very well, who also happens to have won the Daytona 500 and the Daytona 24 Hours, yeah. um, 
asked a specific question and <laughs> about how fast when would he ever be able to run this car as fast as it would go and he was told probably never yeah. because he will get yeah that's weird you know, away yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was told like, sandbagging was illegal yeah sandbagging is illegal it's, in, it's in, illegal yeah, in it's sport. in the rule book so you yeah. can't it, do it yeah, yeah. 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 we're not allowed to talk about it so I wonder if this is going to get me fined oh fair point I was just talking about it yeah yeah and now, now there's now a rule about radio communications that you can't speak in codes about BOP to try and say or, or anything. It, yeah. The rule is basically everything has to mean what you're saying. Yeah, really? But the first thing I thought was, you know, you know, thinking like Ray Evernham would, like, well, if code three means code four, to me, that is directly intent. You know, well, who's that? Do you have to speak in English? Like, why couldn't they you get, actually like, try to do that? Really? Yeah, they, you, you, and then I got busted for look that. Look what the, they did in, in World War II with the Native Americans. Remember? Yeah, the Yeah. So basically, you're saying our freedom dictates we should be allowed to speak your own language. <laughs> I'd also like to point out, <laughs> yeah. literally within two seconds, you know, pointing out the nay, x lay on or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I immediately found a way yeah, around Yeah, I'd say within two seconds, you found a way around the rule already. So this is why yeah, you... That was way too easy. You got to do some like, hard math. I'm Ray Evernham. Yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of the factory deal, uh, uh, you know, you've uh, said in many interviews, but I kind of want to get kind of get a take for our audience. Um, when you left Hendrick from a cruise ship role to basically running your own program, factory back you've been pretty outspoken about how that you really didn't enjoy that um and you you'd, you'd kind of rather not deal with that because of the fact that it just was no longer tinkering the way you were used to yeah uh i just you, you know you have to know your i guess your your limitations of yeah. and it, i don't think sometimes it's limitations of your ability to do something yeah. but really your desire yeah. to, to do something and the commitment that you really make to it because you love it and uh, you know there were it was great. It was a great opportunity, and I can't thank the people at Dodge enough for giving it to me. But when you're managing 450 people and doing all these things, and it, it's just not what Ray Evernham liked to do. And, uh, it, and I realized, like, you know, you got to be careful what you wish for because you might get it. And, and it, it just wasn't what I love to do. My, you know, uh, commitment for, in racing has always come from the – because I was racing. And when I was an owner, I was doing business and, and I feel like I did a good job at the business and we, we, we had some success and we did all those things. But the real passion to take you to the next level wasn't there. And I deep down inside, I knew that I wasn't the making the commitment to being an owner that I should to be a really good owner because I just didn't want to be. Yeah. Was that because you'd accomplish everything you wanted or simply it just wasn't a job description you really enjoyed it just honestly wasn't it wasn't I, i'm a i'm a uh I, I you know if if we were in the army or or in one of the services i wouldn't be a good general you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm a captain give me give me 25 guys and let me let me go kick somebody's ass and figure out a way to do something that somebody's not done we're special forces not that you know we're you know you know i'm just not one of those big strategists and you know think that about this money and do whatever you know i i i'm one of the guys that i want to be in the fight i want to get it done you know and i again i i just love working with uh you know right right on the field i think i'd have been a good um nfl coach if i, if I was good at football or baseball or whatever but I, I wouldn't have been a good front office guy you know so it uh at some point you just got to say look that's that's not my makeup and you got to decide if you're uh when you feel like you're doing it just for the money, it's kind of an empty feeling in this sport. All right, just a couple quick things. Uh, there's 16 different things you're known for, whether it's taking pit stop times down, five seconds, the T-Rex car. Like, is there, if you could attach yourself to one big legacy of, of things that changed in NASCAR over the, the, the couple decades you were really dominating, what would that one be? I think the, how important the team structure is. You know, the, from the, the pit crew department to the mechanical department to the aero department to get in that work to get, you know, having people look at a NASCAR team of guys as more of a professional sport rather than just a driver with a fast car. I think the Rainbow Warriors were a unique group of people who were much better together than they were individually. And I think that was the first time in the NASCAR sport that people really looked at a group of guys. You know, they look at, you know obviously you got a couple of guys here and a couple of guys there, but that bigger group of guys that were that good together because they acted as a team. 
Cool. All right. Well, Ray Evernham, the legacy. A lot of our fans are not necessarily stock car folks. They're folks who like road racing or things in general. What would you want the, the legacy left behind for, for our kind of audience? Oh, wow. Just, uh, you know, I've always said to people, if people say that guy, that guy worked hard at his job, he was committed to it and, and gave back as much as he took out. You know that, and I think that that that's important. You know, not everybody has to like me or like my personality. You know, we talked about being kind or being people Likeable. liking you. Yeah. I can tell you the the press back and the media did not like me back in that day. But if people say hey, that guy worked hard and he was good at what he did and he gave back to the sport, that's the best you can hope for. Cool, cool. I'd say on that note, Continental's got the check. <laughs> What better way to close out this run of podcasts than with one of the most legendary folks in all of motorsports, Ray Evernham. Uh, also, Chad Platt and Garrett Conroth both suggested we sit down with them. Hopefully, this is what you were looking for. Also, if you get a chance, check out our uh, Smokey Eunuch video and podcast because uh, he's in uh, that quite a bit. And we'll close this out with a song called Shruggy by Maxime on musicbed.com.